of all of that, he will be saying some of those things, and more than I say very often, right directly into each of our hearts. So we submit ourselves to that incredible wisdom and authority of the Holy Spirit to come and be with us and teach us and lead us during this time, enlarge our thinking, uh, enthuse our hearts, and cause us to be more, more directed, more focused than we've been for a long time on you and your word and your truth. Amen. Amen. So here's a definition of faith that I've been giving to you. We're talking about faith in God through Jesus, his son, by the work and person of the Holy Spirit, who's our helper in these things, according to truth. All those phrases are important. Faith is not something we make up, we invent as we go along. It is written, it is inspired in Scripture, and we learn from Scripture about our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're led into communion, relationship with them. That relationship, that ongoing relationship of trust and obedience and commitment and, uh, and discipline is called faith. And of course, the definition of a whole Christian life goes back to Habakkuk, it's the just shall live by faith. That's not just how you become a Christian, that's how we continue as Christians. We live by faith. And Jesus said, uh, sorry, faith is not a power we operate, it's not, it's not a substance, it's not a something. Faith is not focused upon an outcome, but upon God. Faith is Godward. Jesus said, have faith in God. Today I want to talk about faith and the promises of God. Okay? Uh, faith, there's a hymn, not one that we sing because it's not altogether a very good hymn, but it has this chorus. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Hymns like that were too a penny in the 1880s, but there you go. I hope that today you'll be helped to stand firm, as you've never done before, in the promises of God. But I have to provoke you a little at the very start here because having searched every scripture in the Bible about the promises of God and you go, this Bible software makes things very easy nowadays, okay? What I've seen more clearly this week is this, that what many of us have grown up calling promises and we tend to call promises are not what the Bible calls promises. The scriptures we read and take hold of and use in our prayers, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. I try to structure most prayer meetings around some scripture that guides us. We generally call those scriptures the promises of God, but they're not what the Bible refers to as his promises. We tend to be concerned with the issues of life. You know what Jesus said, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? We're bothered with the day-to-day. -day. And COVID has focused us very much in on that, hasn't it? We live day-to-day, -day, not worrying too much about a week's time because we can't see that far. So we've been, our focus has been narrowed down by the circumstances of life in the last few months. And when we see something in God's Word that speaks about His supply, His provision, His enabling in life, we take hold of those things and we pray and we give thanks and we trust Him to do what His Word says. There's nothing wrong with that. I do that too. Trusting God in life for the needs of this life. Nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't even begin to measure what the Bible calls the promises of God. Now you know that I will resist to the name it and claim it brigade. Those who think that if they can find some text of scripture that fits their situation, they can throw it up like a trump guard against heaven and say, here, do this. You know? 
Or even worse, they can make something by pushing out their faith without the Lord. In other words, they make themselves gods. We must be careful not not to raid Scripture for what we want it to say, but to read Scripture through thoroughly. Context is the most basic rule of understanding all communication. And these questions here apply to when we handle Scripture. They apply to handling any text, any literature. When was this said? To whom was it said? Why was it said? How was it said? What came before? What came afterwards? Context. By the way, you can have these notes or you can have these screens. You can just, just ask me and I'll give them to you. Without context, words can be misunderstood. That is why our modern messaging systems cause as many problems as they solve. Because so often we're communicating outside of context. All right? And even emojis don't always fix it. All right. So what are the great promises of God? Biblically, the promises of God have to do with his covenants with his purposes, and finally and most importantly, with himself. The Bible mentions a number of covenants in the Old Testament. Let me just, and each of these had promises attached to them. Okay, Adam and Eve, God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. There was a mix of curse, but also promise there. Noah, God promised Noah, and through Noah, all humanity, that God would never destroy the earth again by worldwide flood, and that seasons and sun and rainfall and sea time and harvest would continue until the end of the world. God promised Abraham that God would give a descendants a promised land, and that in his seed, which is one, it's a descendant, one significant descendant, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God promised Israel, adding on to the covenant with Abraham, further promises than some I'll mention in a few moments. And then, In the kingdom, God promised David that the throne of Israel would always have one of his descendants to occupy. Not that they would necessarily sit on it, but there would never fail to be a descendant of David who was the true king of Israel. And of course, the final one was... Thank you, Carol. (laughs) Someone else got it over here as well. Jesus. All right. Another way of talking about the promises of God is God's oaths. God speaks on oath. He swears by himself that he will do it. The book of Hebrews uses the word oath and promise equally and interchangeably. And it's a major theme of the book, and it's such a big issue in Hebrews, I can't go there at all today, because it would take me too long. So I've got to ignore Hebrews altogether, and it's really irritating. But never mind. When the Lord spoke by the Old Testament prophets, they were usually drawing the people back to these covenants and promises of the Lord to what they knew he'd already done, what they knew he had said. And all of those promises, here's the New Testament scripture, are fulfilled, summed up, completed, or are being completed in Jesus. For all the promises of God in Jesus are yes, and in him are amen to the glory of God through us. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. There aren't some Old Testament prophecies still running in an Old Testament way anymore. They're fulfilled, focused, centered in Jesus. The promises of the New, Te- that the New Testament most often refers to are these. God's promises to Abraham. 
being fulfilled in and through Jesus. He's promised that he would send the Messiah, and he did. And the other things around the Messiah, that he would die, that he would rise again, and so on. God's promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of his presence, what we were singing earlier, I am with you, because you're with me. That's a big one in Scripture. Again and again and again, God says to people, I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. New Testament makes much of that one promise. The promise of eternal life, of entering into his eternal kingdom, enter into his eternal rest and reward. Those are the big issues that come up in the New Testament. The Mosaic Covenant, that is to say very plainly, Judaism is fulfilled and ended. There are not two peoples of God, but one. Those who are in Messiah Jesus. You can check that out in Galatians and Ephesians and Romans. They are, we are sons and heirs of Abraham, fulfilling God's promise made to Abraham through faith in Jesus. We're counted as his inheritors. Circumcision is of no significance, nor keeping the laws of the books of Moses, nor, let me add, is being raised culturally as a Christian, being raised in a Christian home. That may or may not be helpful to your understanding about God and Jesus and faith, but the big question is not how were you raised, but do you believe? Do you belong to Christ? Are you His? Now I understand that the promises I've just listed are the ones that Peter refers to when he says this, and this is my main scripture this morning. 2 Peter 1, I'm going to read the whole of it, I'm giving you headlines just up there. 2 Peter 1 verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power or authority has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue, by which, by His glory and virtue, by His power, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises so that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. In other words, become more like God, like Christ, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust or appetites. God has given us all we need for life and godliness, for this day-to-day -day living and growing in grace. But he's given us great and exceeding, exceedingly great and precious promises that push us way beyond just the day-to-day. -day. Not just surviving COVID, not just how is the bills going to be paid, but take us to another level, another vast dimension. What we have tended to call covetous promises which cause us to hope in God for grace and help for each day, they, they're good, but... In Scripture, there are great and precious promises that don't just improve your daily life, but completely change your life and make you live for a much, much greater purpose. God's greatest and most precious promises concern himself. Again, his promise of Jesus, the Son of God made man. His promise of the Holy Spirit, who is with us whilst Jesus is in heaven. His promise of his presence right now, still, today, and his promise of eternal life and rest. You know, there are two tables to the Ten Commandments. There are uh, four commandments about God, and then there are six about us. Okay? You can look that up sometime. But God is first. There were two, out of that, the, God's moral law was summed up in two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God first, than us. How does the Lord's Prayer, the pattern prayer start? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Who's first? God. God. Having established the priorities of heaven, we ask for the supply we need for today. So it is with the promises of God. They are firstly and most importantly about him, not about us. But it's on the basis of his covenants and promises that we enjoy his grace. And there are some things we can just rest in as being his provision. We tend to think of the promises of God also as uh, uh, being about us, you know, about me personally or my household. Some have said that's the Noah in the ark syndrome, me and my family, you know. Because the rest of the world are gone. Well, there is a, there is, the problem is there is the rest of the world. The world's a very big place with billions of people in it. So the promises of God have all of these dimensions, like ripples outwards of the pond. Individual. My God. You're with me. Familial. I'm sorry, I ended them, I ended them all with A-L, so that's a fancy word. The family, the household. Hopefully it's a Christian family. But even it isn't. Still, you're looking for the blessing of God and the goodness of God in your family, in your household. But then there's communal society or the church, which is God's society, God's family, God's community. We look for things that we inherit together, that we discover God's goodness together. Being together as community really matters. And it's been forbidden to us uh, to a large extent, or it's been limited to us, from us from a large extent for a good while. Then there are national dimensions to God's purposes and promises. International Jesus has been promised the nations. Did you know that? The nations. Every knee, every will bow. All the nations must give way to the gospel. And it's creational because one day God will renew the whole cosmos. He'll burn out every evil and wicked thing in the whole universe. And he'll remake this planet to be a beautiful thing in which only righteousness and only righteous people will live. The promises of God draw us into partnership with his purposes. They, they, they point us to how to pray and how to work and what to stretch for, what we're looking for, not just now, not just immediately, but in the longer term, in the bigger view. We join up to God's purposes because we see his promises. We work and pray and endure as seeing ahead what the Lord has promised. We endure having less than perhaps unbelieving people do. Maybe being discriminated against because of our Christian faith. Because our reward is great in heaven. Let me give you an illustration. Laban was prom promised Jacob that he would have Rachel as his wife after seven years of work. Jacob worked those seven years, and, and this is scripture, and they seemed to him but a few days because he loved her so much. The promise of Rachel kept Jacob going. How much more should the promises of God keep us going through life, through trials, through these last months? Because we see the promises of God. God's promises are bigger than you or me and will probably last longer than you or me. All right? And if we don't have a longer view, that I may not live to see some of this, but I'm still believing God's going to do it. Then I may live and die disappointed. Oh, I didn't get to see it. Listen, my friends, most Christians in all history lived outside of revivals. People are so mad keen to see revivals. Most Christians never saw one. 
I'm, I'm not criticizing for that. Do you understand? But that doesn't make, stop us hoping for to see something extraordinary that God might do. However, I don't think we've got cast iron promises of that, never mind. Hebrews draws attention to those who died in faith, not having seen what God had promised. But they passed on the promise, and they passed on the faith, and they passed on the hope to the next generation. They invested before they died in the generation to come. God's promises must not only be held, kind of, you know, written on this little sheet in the back of your Bible, or whatever. Oh, that's really good. No, they mustn't just be held and treasured. They need to be pursued. We need to be praying for God to do the very things that He's sworn to do. Because then we are focusing on His purposes. We're praying actively, thoughtfully, that part of the pattern prayer. Father, let your name be honored. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let me return to that scripture in Peter again. God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, through these promises, through seeing them, holding them, pursuing them, you may become more and more made in the image of God through Jesus. Right? Partakers of the divine nature. Escaping the corruption that is in this world because of its appetites. God gives us now everything we need for life and godliness, the life that pleases Him. But He's given us His promises to pull us beyond now into a greater dimension. John says a similar thing in his first letter. He says, uh, we are now the children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself, sorry, it's hope in Jesus in him, purifies himself. Say it right. Just as he is pure. Because you have a hope of seeing Jesus and becoming like him, you, make, you take actions and make decisions now that are preparing and working towards that goal. Purpose-driven, promise-driven life. Can I remind you what Jesus said about our correct position, about our daily concerns, our daily needs? Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air the Carol and David feed in the back garden. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Now, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and is tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles, which means unbelievers, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Standing on the promises of God. I like that picture. Do you see him? He's standing on a hill, and you can't see it. It's a bit smaller than God. He's looking way ahead. That's what the promises of God do. They lift your eyes from the now to the beyond. Yeah. 
They get you through now because they're bigger than now and better than now. Seek the Lord. His, prom- His promise is chiefly about himself. Read his word. Whatever catches your heart, pray and back to him. Let scriptures direct your prayers. But remember, your present needs are not the big issue. And God, by his oaths, by his promises, by his covenants, draws your attention to bigger issues. That when you pursue, he'll take care of your needs. It's the difference between what is only temporary and what is eternal. I am with you. We saw it on the video. We sang it earlier. I am with you. That one promise alone ought to be enough to keep our feet on track. Just that. I am with you. Now, for some of us, this is a reminder, a call back to priorities and principles. We, when we set ourselves to seek the honor of his name, the coming of his kingdom, the enacting of his will on earth, he takes care of our needs. We don't need to worry for ourselves. For others, this is a call to start, to begin, to call on the Lord through the name of Jesus and ask him to bring you into this faith that trusts him, that receives his words, that seeks his honor, that does his will. Whatever your response to him this morning, I'm going to urge you to take the next moment and say that to him in prayer. Let's bow our heads, let's be quiet. If you have a reply, I don't need it. I mean, you're welcome to talk to me afterwards, but I don't, I don't need your response. I want you to respond to the Lord. Tell him what you've been struck with and what you're asking him to help you with this morning. Father, hear our prayers through Jesus, your Son, and answer us, please, from heaven. Some of us admit that our hearts have been stirred and they needed to be stirred. Others are saying, I need to get into this. I haven't even begun. I need to know what it is to follow Jesus, to know him in my life. Answer each prayer put before you right now, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion together. I hope you got one of these on the way in. If you haven't got one, please raise your hand where you are and we'll get, bring the tray over so you can take one. Okay, everybody got one? Great, well done. Well done, welcome team. I should have said earlier, every week we've got ladies at the door that are welcoming people. They do a great job. Thank you, everybody. All right. Carol and the whole team at the corner there, thank you. Communion is when we remember God's covenant. Remember, all the old covenants are summed up in Jesus, and Jesus made a new covenant, which brings all the best of that in and adds something even more. Far, far greater. It's new, it's better, it's greater, it's bigger. You don't say, oh, the old covenant was good. No, 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 no. All the good bits are ours in Jesus. But there's even better in this new covenant. This bread and this grape juice which is representing wine is our reminder week by week of this new covenant. Now I want you to join with me, not in singing but in saying something. There is a good old hymn that has these words. Would you just recite these words with me?
all right, as we begin to do this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Frame there means your feelings or frame of mind, okay? Even when you feel you're having your best day, you don't trust in your feelings. Okay, next verse. I need to do it. (laughs) When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking Sad. Amen. Amen. His oath, his covenant, his blood. You notice how oath and covenant belong together? Yes. And every covenant was sealed by blood. And this new covenant was sealed not with the blood of animals, but with the blood of Christ. So we give thanks again to God for the body of Jesus broken for us. In this emblem, we remember that Christ died for us. few drops of grape juice remind us of the drops of blood shed on the cross. Eternal covenant, eternal salvation, eternal redemption. It wasn't, it was done in a day, but it's eternal. It cannot be broken, what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. Coming back, they're ready. All right, team, would you come up here, worship team? Going to lead us in a final song, and uh, we don't come around and gather giving. There's a basket back on the way out. That's we, we have to do everything in a socially distanced way still. But uh, what we'll go back to when we can, we, we'll see. We'll, we'll figure it out. But we're going to sing a song together. Let's stand. And worship him. Let's be grateful to God for his covenant, which is always made with promise, with an oath. Amen. <laughs>